So our next task is to um, create our I want statements if you haven't done it already. And if you have, then maybe you could share with us how you came up with it. Um, so for instance, in, in my going through my number ones of importance, um, they, were, they were mostly about, you know, being tired or having mental dullness or you know running out of energy by the end of the day and so it's like what's the common theme here you know achy tired body it's like oh, I want that I want the energy I want that jump out of bed quality of energy you remember having it as a little kid that was the last time I remember having it of eager and rested and ready to go right so it's like I wanted the vigorous bright quality of energy so my I want statement would be you know like I want the energy that jumps out of bed rested and eager for the coming day okay it could have been something like I want more energy you would not want it to be I don't want to be tired right negative statements of what I don't want uh they do something to the subconscious that leaves this blank that, that sucks your old habit back into it. And my explanation is years ago when I was helping people quit being smoking, one of the techniques I learned helped a, really a lot was if they could identify where they would keep their pack of cigarettes, you know, bed stand, pocket, purse, drawer at work. And instead of just getting rid of all of those cigarettes and leaving a blank hole there, if they put something else in that same spot, chewing gum, a toothpick, you know, something, that when their hand went for the cigarette, they found chewing gum instead, it was hugely beneficial, helpful for them to not trigger the need for the cigarette by the lack of finding it, right, by its absence. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great example for seeing emptiness, but for quitting a habit, when you go to reach for the thing automatically and you don't find the thing, the, the addictive habit urge just moves up. Whereas if you reach for something and you find something else, it's like, oh, swing them. Yeah. And so our I want statement is similar. If we say I don't want tired energy, right? Every time we revisit that I want statement, it's like, oh, tired energy. Right? It like rears it back up again. So your I want statement needs to be stated in the positive. Okay? And there are even some words that although the words themselves don't say don't, won't, shouldn't, etc., they have a negative or an unquality to them. Yeah, and so just watch you write them down and then read it again. You know, is this statement putting a new thing in or is it saying to my mind, 
is it going to reveal to my mind the what I'm trying to get rid of, right? some negativity. So there's a bit of a trick to it. Uh, so let's experiment. Say someone in their health assessment is dealing with arth- with arthritis, right? Just the wear and tear kind of arthritis where they're stiff and sore and achy when they get out of bed and they know that walking the dog is going to hurt. And it just, like, leaves them feeling resigned or, you know, willing to go walk the dog but joyless. So if they recognize that as their health obstacle, give me an example of what their I want statement might be. It might be, I want my joints to move with fluidity and grace and joy. That'd be beautiful. Okay. Say someone has uh, has a cancer of some kind, you know, and they're undergoing treatment, and they're sick, and they're probably scared. You know, they don't know for sure it's going to work. What might their I want statement be? Actually, give me an I want statement that like immediately comes to mind that probably isn't going to work. Yeah, I want to be cured. I want the cancer to disappear. So not that that's not possible, but how could we do that for someone else? So then what might it be? There's the, there's the get rid of it, right? <laughs> change those words because that, those, that, has a, that has a negative connotation, right? But, but your whole idea is fine. We just need to fine-tune those words, right? And, yeah, restore health maybe, right? So you're, you're right. That the reason we're doing this exercise is because we want to see how our minds are working conventionally and how we can fine-tune that to work in a more in a deeper, more subtle way to get to the real result we want, right? which is for the treatment to restore my health. Okay? And yet, we also need to be more specific. So we could start with the specificness of your statement, which is, I want my doctors to be able to identify this thing and to know what's going to work. That's good enough. Right there. We can just leave the end result out of it for right now to help someone at that level. I want cancer to have no effect on my life. Um, Again, if we can restate that in a way that doesn't say have no effect, in a way that says it positively, which is hard because cancer is something we don't want. And if we get it, we don't want it to destroy us. So I I don't I don't want to say I know exactly what your I want statement has to be. The example here is how to work with it, right? To to in the way you say to think of the assumptions that are held within the way we've stated our I want statement and then think too is it is it an I want statement that I can actually go and carry out helping someone else do something similar. So if someone has cancer, 
That would be, I want to be cancer-free and happy. That would be a good I want statement. And then our task is to find someone with cancer and figure out how we help them be cancer-free and happy. Yeah, how might we do that? That's a whole story. That's all next week, because how do we go about doing that? Because I know, you know, my mind goes, yeah, but, you know, I, yeah, but, you know, it's like that demon, the yeah, but, I did, I tried all of these things for me and they didn't work, so how can I go on and recommend them to somebody else? All right, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, So when you're making your I want statement, whether it's for health or anything else, give it due consideration. Think about it carefully about the ramifications of all the different ways it might come true before you say, yeah, that's the one I want to use. That's the I want I want. Yeah. It, 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 takes, it does take some time. Once you get the hang of it, actually they come pretty easily. And so it doesn't continue to take that much time. But when you're first learning, it's worth the effort and to spend a little time working with it. Then once you have it, especially like now, if you're really going to make an I want statement to try this on for size, um, and I haven't given you the information about what to do with it, so you would make decide on your I want statement in the next few days if you haven't already, and then during the week, just recall it. You know, maybe write it down on some place that you're going to see it from time to time, and then recall it, and let your mind just briefly go through why you've set up this I want statement. Recall about the thing about mental seeds, you know, the thing about the pen, not being the pen until somebody's mind lays on it, pen, and that's the truth for everything in my life, including my arthritis, including my cancer, including my fatigue. And that if it's coming out of my mind, I had to put it in my mind. And that means that I can get it out of my mind and I can put other stuff in my mind that doesn't have to include it anymore. So it, it, it really, you can run your mind through it that quickly without having to go through all the different logic of it. And every time you do, it like stirs up the seeds that you have in there that, that know the truth of that that maybe you aren't even aware of yet. So it's, it's worth just letting that stuff rattle around in your mind from time to time. Um, try to reach that conclusion that, and so how, how I intentionally interact with others is how I'm going to create the circumstances of my future. That's the refrain. You know, that's the mantra when you try to boil it down to just one word, it's bodhicitta, but you need to know what that means first to be able to use it. So it's like, if all of this is true, then how I interact with others is creating the experience of my future and every moment I have an opportunity to create pleasure by being kind to other people, whether I feel like being kind, whether they seem to deserve to be kind, me to be kind to them, doesn't matter. 
All that matters is what the video recorder is recording you doing, because that's what's going to come back. So as long as we're running our mind through all of this, and the conclusion is, be loving. And whatever that looks like in the moment, it's going to pay off in your future. Sooner or later, I promise you. Say again. The three spheres. The emptiness of the three spheres. So when we, when we are reacting, mm-hmm. that was the teaching of Jesus when we react. Right. Right. Before you react, you apply the three spheres. And what's meant by that from the scripture is that you're, you're applying your understanding that this, what I'm experiencing is a ripening of my past seeds to three, the three parts of the experience, which is the me experiencing the experience, the other person that appears to be doing the thing to me, and that actual thing that's being done. So whether it's an unpleasant thing coming at me, we're trying to uh, recognize the me here experiencing that is mental seeds ripening from having done it to somebody before, even if I don't remember doing it. The person who's here appearing to do that to me is my projection onto some information, which is a part of a ripening of my seeds. I don't really know who they are and what they're experiencing. It doesn't mean they're not doing what they're doing, right? but I can't blame them. And what they're doing to me itself is part of this ripening seed. Somebody else could be experiencing it completely different. In fact, not only could, but are. It's the crux of it. Right? It's the crux of it. Um, but we're thinking of it in a different way. Yeah. When you're in the midst of something and you're trying to apply the three spheres so that you don't react, mm-hmm. it's different than we're planning ahead of time how we're going to interact with someone in order to plant the seed so that when they ripen, this whole thing about the three spheres is pleasant, is the result that we want. So it's, it's a different aspect of why we're doing what we're doing. Okay. Okay. Um, so food for thought between now and next week then is that how we are interacting with others is what is planting the seeds that will be the future of how we see others interacting with us. Okay. So our our minds would be thinking that just seems too big, uh, too vast a thing to wrap our mind around. And you know, all these teachings are from Lord Buddha, and he uh, knew that, knows that. So he, so he boiled all this, all our behaviors down to, to within ten main categories. Right? They're called the ten non-virtues, the ten ways in which we mistreat other people in our habitual interaction with them, which means mistreat ourselves in our habitual interaction with other people and we don't even realize that we're doing it until it's pointed out to us and then we can see it very clearly. 
So then the ten non-virtues are ten ways to not act, right? Ten ways that we perpetuate our suffering. And the implication is there must be then ten virtues, right? Their opposite is the ten ways we could act that would then create the seeds for our pleasant future. Right up to that heaven on earth, right? That somewhere deep down we all aspire to and know is possible. So we're going to talk about these ten non-virtues and ten virtues quickly so you have something to chew on there. The ten non-virtues, there's three that we do with our bodies, four that we do with our speech, and three that we do with our minds. So the three are body, appearing, feeling, and sexual misconduct. The three that we do with our speech, our lying, harsh speech, this was righteous speech. The three we do with our mind is coveting, is jealousy, ill will, and longing. We could spend hours talking about these, and it's a beautiful, beautiful subject and all the ramifications of them, but we just have opportunity to go through them quickly, right? Um, but you can cook them all week and watch, you know, to see where is it we are doing these behaviors. So, killing is killing. Uh, obvious killing, intentional killing, uh, unintentional killing, accidental killing, uh, killing by just not paying enough attention, any way that something that we do takes the life of another being. So on one level, it means human being, you know. I I can't remember having killed a human being in a while. Oh. But any life. If we see ourselves contributing to taking a life, we've planted the seed in our mind to see our life be taken. So you can cook, you know, what does that what does that mean? How might that look? And what does that have to do with why people die? We really we really okay, killing. Stealing means taking something that's not been freely offered, freely given. Again, the one that comes to mind is robbing a bank, you know, taking somebody's wallet, picking up their computer and walking off with it. I mean, all these nasty things that we don't do, but happen to people. So somebody does it. And, uh, but also down to pens and pencils from the office that go home in our pocket. Right? Subtle, more subtle things can even go so far as to look at how is it that we steal other people's time, etc. Sexual misconduct. The the big one is um, is uh, what do you call it? I'm blanking out. When you have an affair with a married person, adultery, right? Um, 
not saying that there's anything wrong with sex or intercourse, but it's interfering with partnerships. It's interfering with relationships that is what's wrong here because it interferes with our own relationships with other people, with our self, with the higher power, etc. So sexual misconduct. So, you know, in in the gross sense, it's adultery. In the finer senses, it's interfering with someone else's partnership, whether it's a male-female partnership or a business partnership, you know, getting in the way, splitting it up, not respecting someone's partnership, not being a reliable partner within a partnership, leads, leads to seeds that we see then as not being able to have a partner not being able to have companionship or care or that sense of uh, contentment and longevity and personal respect that comes with a long-term relationship that is some part of a human need. So sexual misconduct, the four of speech is lying you know, the obvious ones. Saying something about yourself or other that's just plain not true. You know, intentionally giving somebody the wrong impression. But we unintentionally give wrong impressions too. Right? We exaggerate. We, you know, tell jokes. We, you know, we do a lot of things that Put that our own like video cam is recording that's going to come back as coming at us. Yeah. So, on the other hand, you know, how do we speak totally truthfully too? We'll talk about it. There is a silly movie called The Invention of Lies. It's worth finding. It, it's you know, it's not a great movie, but it's very cleverly done because. It shows, it like starts out in a world where people are incapable of lying. And so everybody says what's on their mind, you know? And so it's a world of like rude and, (laughs) you know, like shocking. I don't know, I'm sort of giving it away so you don't have to watch it now. But then it occurs to like one guy, he's in a situation and his mom is sick and he needs money. He gave his money to help her, and then he doesn't have money for the rent, and so he goes to the bank and he tells a lie. He says, "There's $800 in my checking account, and I need it cash." You know, and the teller just doesn't even check because nobody lies. She just gives him the 800 bucks, and he, like, goes, "Bing! I can tell lies and get what I want." You know, and you can imagine where the movie goes from there. Um, it's, it's really, really silly and fun and worth watching, actually, even though I've just told you the punchline. It's like, so not lying doesn't necessarily mean, you know, gosh, you look terrible today. (laughs) But it also doesn't mean giving the wrong impression intentionally, because then you're going to be wrongly impressed by others, going to be lied to by others. Harsh speech means, you know, loud sounds, vulgar sounds, unpleasant sounds coming out of us our mouth, our speech, 
and it ripens as hearing that kind of stuff, right? The reason that trash cans, trash trucks make so much noise is because we make so much noise. You know, it's not because they've got those squeaky brakes in the machine that goes kaboom. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at our world once we know these. Useless speech means blah, 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 gossip, unhelpful discussion about things going on in our world. Uh, that goes on most of the day. It comes back to us as useless speech and useless sounds and useless stuff. Divisive speech means the kind of speech where you're trying to separate people from each other. Right? So again, you know, how often do you go to a group and say, do you know that this person did such and such and such in order so that this person won't like that person anymore? It's like high school or grade school. And yet in a subtle way, this is going on a lot. When we point out the faults of our coworkers to someone else, thinking that, you know, really, no, no, I'm really trying to help. What really helps is to point out their goodnesses, not their faults. Anyway, divisive speech, that's something to watch for. The, the three of mind mean, you know, what are what we're thinking, how we're thinking about things constantly. So the first one is uh, coveting or jealousy, which is that emotion, that feeling, that thought of being unhappy when someone you know is getting something either they wanted or you wanted. Right, so typically it's like we see somebody getting something that we wanted and our minds go, right, I should have gotten that. Why did they get that? It's not going, wow, look, they got that. I'm so happy they're happy. Our minds don't tend to do that. They tend to do that thing. So jealousy and coveting, the big ones probably aren't there in our minds, but the little ones probably are. Then ill will is like a subtle twist on that, which is being unhappy, I don't know, being happy when someone gets something they don't want. So jealousy is being unhappy when someone gets what they want. Ill will is being happy when someone gets a misfortune. Right? Not being willing to go and help somebody out of a difficulty is ill will. Technically, we do ill will when someone we don't like is getting something they don't want. Right? When someone we do like is getting something they don't like, we're more likely to go and try to help. Right? So our ill will is less. But we do it. We do it. If it's one of the ten big ones, we're doing it all the time in some subtle form. So it's worth learning about. The last one is wrong view. Wrong view is that disbelief in this marriage of karma and emptiness. How mental seeds are planted by seeing what we think, do, and say towards others and that that creates our reality. So, um, before we heard that, before we entertained the possibility that that's true, we were steeped with wrong view. Right, once we hear that, we're starting to grow this right view. But meanwhile, anytime we blame somebody or something for what they're doing, we're having wrong view stain our video recorder recording. 
So this is this one is a little hard to get rid of completely, but just by keeping the understanding of mental seeds rattling around in the back of our minds, it helps take this chunk about this out of this. So these are on the negative. Let's flip them over to the positive because that's where we want to put our energy. Not so much into stopping doing the bad ones, which we do need to do, but the way we stop doing the wrong ones is by starting doing the positive ones. And we get much more mileage out of doing the positives than not doing the negatives because we're doing them together. You see, and that's sort of how vows work. When we're doing start vows class on Sunday, we'll see how that why vows are stated in the negative. So the opposite of killing is protecting life. We're going to spend the next five weeks talking about how do we go about protecting life in the obvious ways and the not so obvious ways. Protecting life. Lots of different ways. The opposite of stealing. Protecting people's property. Protecting other stuff instead of taking other stuff. So how do we do that? You know, we don't take their stuff. But not only do we not take their stuff, if it's in the way and somebody might step on it, right, we put it someplace safe. So we're protecting life, doing that, by helping someone not step on it and trip and get hurt. And we're protecting the person's property by moving it to a safer place. But you might want to tell them that you did it so that when they walk in and don't find their stuff, they don't immediately go, who stole my stuff? Do you see? So it's like our actions... Oh, my intention is to protect this stuff, but the reaction may be, that person thought I just took their stuff. Right? We'll talk about that too. Sexual misconduct. You know, the obvious, someone's married, and you just don't allow yourself to be at all innuendive, right? Or alluring, or sexual, or at all sexually available or do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, you honor their relationship whether you're in a relationship or not. If you know they are in one whether they're in a happy one or not as long as they're in a committed relationship you interact with them on this totally pure way. You can be totally loving and kind to someone and still give the vibe of being completely sexually unavailable. Our body language says that stuff. And it's important that when we are in the presence of other people who are in a committed relationship that we put on that persona of, you know, I am everybody's sister. And so I can be caring, I can be even affectionate, if you're careful, uh, without giving any sense of, of come on. Right? And uh, it, it's protecting relationships. And in the same way with other kinds of relationships, business relationships, 
just don't tempt someone to change how they think about their business partnership. Right? Cultivate that business partnership. That can cultivate, cultivate your own personal partnership, whether it's business or otherwise. Right? So watch for partnerships and how you can honor them and respect them and encourage them in other people. The opposite of lying is telling the truth. Being honest, not giving the wrong impression intentionally, which maybe means you just have to keep your mouth shut. Mm -hmm. Gee, how do I look today? You know, the weather's nice. Wasn't the weather nice yesterday? Just change the subject if you can't say something nice and honest. It's okay not to answer the question. It really is okay to do that, as hard as that is. But honesty, it brings an honest world. Opposite of harsh speech is kind speech. That's easy to choose our words to be kind, to be gentle. It's, um, It's surprising to people and they get it. They may not realize, oh, that person's speaking kindly and gently, but they'll like it. As opposed to, you know, the coarse kind of blah, blah, that it seems runs in the general public. You know, I haven't been in the general public for a really long time, so I'm talking about a general public I was in about 12 years ago. So I'm not sure. Maybe it's not out there. You know, for me, it kind of isn't, but maybe it is for you. So if it is, great. Fix it if it isn't. Yay. Was that harsh? Useless. Purpose. Useless speech. The opposite is speaking purposefully. If everybody did that, it would make for a pretty silent world, actually. And and maybe that's not the purpose of purposeful speech. Um, it can be the case where, say, you're at a business meeting or even like a business party and you're expected to have to to be socially engaged the people at your business party don't want to hear about karmic seeds and spiritual enlightenment and it's just not appropriate and that party necessarily and so you don't have to speak only of those things to be speaking purposefully you may purposefully talk with someone about the ball game or the latest movie, you know, or whatever recent disaster there's been. But the way you speak about it will turn it from either useless or purposeful. Right? It just takes a little mindfulness and uh, working on the habit of just falling into the train of thought and intentionally guiding that train of thought in a way that could be useful. But to fit in in an appropriate situation can still be purposeful speech done if you do it mindfully. When you get a chance to say, well, you know, reacting kindly really makes the situation feel better, you can plant a little seed and then just leave it. And that's really helpful to do, too. So, useless. Divisive. The opposite of divisive would be bringing people together. How do we do that? 
Yeah. But how might we do that as just like part of our everyday behavior? It's just singing people's praises, right? That's really hard for me. My mind just finds fault with everything and everybody. And then I can shut that part off and be thinking, no, no, look how great that is. Look how great that is. Look how great that is. But when I'm talking to someone else about someone else, I cannot talk about their faults very easily. But for some reason to turn it and say, wow, that person, they have this greatest ability to do such and such is really hard for me. And I'm working on it, and it's so fun when I actually do it. You know, that it's like, whoa, I can't do this. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And they're fun. But to speak highly of someone to someone else means that the impression you give to the someone else about this one is good. It's positive. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to run together and be best friends, but you've just brought two people together. Okay? So praising, praising people, praising people's goodnesses to other people and to them. So what's the opposite of coveting or jealousy? This being unhappy when someone else is happy. Celebrating their good fortune. Celebrating their good fortune. Doesn't that sound like fun? I, mean, I love having like, wee, wee. It, And we have opportunities all the time in our world, right? We live in a world where a lot of people have their needs met and more than their needs met, have fun things and amazing things and opportunities and really we see great things going on all the time and we just take it for granted. And they're all opportunities for being happy that people have the good stuff that they're getting. And that's what perpetuates it. So when we if we have many more opportunities to create this joyfulness in our world, then we probably even have to be covetous and jealous. And that's a good point. So then the opposite of ill will, which is the being happy when someone having misfortune is Compassion, right? To see somebody's suffering, and I'm so sorry. You know, how can I help you? Even if you, even if there isn't anything that you can actually physically do, I had this experience once. I was driving back and forth from Diamond Mountain to El Paso, <coughs> which is about a three-hour drive, easy on the highway, the freeway, the whole way. And um, I was driving home one time, and. And there's a car, stranded car off to the side of the road. You know, you see it from far away. And as I'm driving up to it, I see that it's an elderly couple with the hood's up and they're staring into the engine. You know, and I'm thinking to myself as I go by, I, I really wish I could help them in some way. You know, I don't have a cell phone. I don't know what's going on with their car. I really, really wish I could help. And I drive by. And I look in my rearview mirror and the pickup that's coming behind me pulls off to the side of the road. And it's like, I did just help them. It's like that thought in my mind made the pickup behind me pull off and help them. Now, you know, our minds can say, no, you was going to do that anyway. It didn't matter. You didn't have to think of it. But it's way more useful for me to, like, make that connection that I can help people 
by thinking of trying to help them, of wanting to try to help them, is sometimes enough to get them the help that they need. Right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be me doing the help. That wanting to help them, they get the help. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, try it out. Try it out. The opposite of ill will is just wherever you see someone suffering and unhappy, instead of gloat, you know, instead of, thank God it's not me, just send them a mental prayer. You know, I'm so sorry. I wish I could fix it. If there is something you can do, go help. Right? But if there really isn't, just wish it. Just wish it really strongly. And then the last one is wrong view. The opposite of wrong view is right view. And right view is this understanding, and we call it the marriage of karma and emptiness, that because things have no are blank from their own side, they're available to be anything I can create. Not in the moment, but by how I react to them. We call that the marriage of karma and emptiness. The two things that occur together that are our world, the me and my world. So, think about these ten virtues this week in terms of your I want statement. Because these are the behaviors that you're going to we're going to choose from. We're going to fine-tune them. But these are the basis of the behaviors that we're going to be thinking about that will help us decide what is it that I'm going to go and do for someone else that will create the seeds for this result of my I want statement. Okay? So that's our, that's our task for the week. It's just to cook that stuff. Watch your patterns of behavior. See if you can tell where you're doing these, or better, see if you can tell where you're doing the positives. That's way more fun. Um, don't try to change yourself yet. And just watch. Just observe. So um, I have one more thing to share. So yesterday, I was walking the dogs in the park, and there was another lady who was walking. And she, she stops at the street, and I couldn't see what was happening, but then I see that she's found a mother duck and ten little ducklings. And so she's herding this duck group through the parking lot of the park, over the dike, you know, presumably to the river, which is about a football field away and she's very gently you know staying behind this little duck parade and keeping the mother duck going the right direction and all the other people walking would like see what was going on and they'd go a wide berth around her to not flip out mom duck and you know these little teeny duck feet are just like going like this they have so far to go it was like wow you know, to see this lady take her time, must have taken her 20 minutes or half an hour to get that mother duck, I presume, all the way to the river and the little duck's their first swim. And it's... Hmm. So 
So I share that story with you, and I want you to think about why I'm sharing that story with you in a class about healing. Okay, and we'll bring it up next week. That's all I'm going to say. Mm. So now, remember that person that you thought of the way in which they were sick and suffering, and that you asked your holy being to teach you something that you will be able to use to help that person? Um, They did, and you did, and so you will get to soon. So think about that. And be happy about that. So think of that goodness in your heart, like a beautiful shining gemstone. And then send that shining goodness out from you. Maitri karunam muditam upeksham Maitri karunam muditam Oh, big